0: scholars and historians cover for these guys, because it's, it's right out there that uh, Lincoln never gave up his dream of sending Black people out of the country.
1: This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton, coming at you here on Create Your Future Productions. You can find us online at www.yourfuturecreator.com. Follow us on all the social medias and get us wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm really excited tonight. I've got an amazing guest for you guys. You probably already know her. If you follow Black Agenda Report, then you definitely know her. Or if you've, uh, about a year or so ago, she released a book called Prejudential. Welcome to the show. Margaret Kimberly.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Heather. It's a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's always an honor to have you here. And you're also a member of the Green Party. Even though you're from New York, the Jersey Greens have kind of adopted you as one of our... (laughs) own. Yes.
0: I love my Jersey Green people. I I can't wait. Well, for many reasons, for the pandemic to be over, we can get together again. You're a fun group. Also, of course, having the best politics ever, but very nice people.
1: Yeah, we are definitely one of the farther left green parties, I would say, in the country. We're definitely holding up the socialist end proudly. Yeah. <laughs> so your book was amazing. I was actually got the audiobook of it, which you narrated yourself. Was that stressful having to narrate your own audiobook?
0: It, it was fun. It was well, it was it was uh, a great learning experience. You just sit in this little booth. And it's 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 a funny thing because they tell you this, you know, they have these amazing microphones of course and the thing I remember most from the email was they said, "Make sure you eat breakfast because if your stomach's growling, the microphone will pick it up." That's my enduring memory and I I said, "Ah, you're my best friend, you're telling me to eat a big breakfast." <laughs> giving me permission. But it's I mean, it's a lot of stumbling and starting, you know, trying to read something but it was, it, was, it was fun, like anything else. It took, like, I'm going to say two sessions, you know, each one maybe a few hours long. Um, actually took less time than we scheduled. But it was, um, it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad it was my voice and not somebody else's. It was fun to read my own words. And it was an affirmation. Yeah, I wrote a book. It was, it was like, I'm reading it. So, um, yes, they, I'm glad you, uh, you listened to it. And you can put your
1: your own inflection on things that maybe somebody else that was reading your book didn't know your tone of thought when you were writing it, but when you were reading it yourself, you're like, yeah, I wanted to really stress this word or stress this point.
0: Well, well, someone pointed out to me. They said you got. They said that I became more adamant as the book went on. Maybe I don't know if I was more relaxed or what, but uh, they said you are a little more fiery in the later chapters, of the later forty five chapters. I wasn't aware of it at the time. I think. It was a combination of comfort uh having done the recording for some hours already and um you know just a feeling a greater feeling of confidence too well and
1: you're like oh, yet another president that screwed over black people like you're probably getting more and
0: more pissed off the more you're going <laughs> well you know it's a, it's a funny thing it's uh someone asked me i was interviewed a couple nights ago and someone said to me Please tell me there's nothing bad about Jimmy Carter because this person was an admirer of Jimmy Carter. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It's like, I know now he's building houses for, you know, building houses for Habitat for Humanity and he doesn't get paid half a million dollars to give speeches and he criticized Israel and we'll give credit where it's due. But he was conservative president, he used the racist tropes during his campaign. I said, So sorry, I, I I cannot I cannot help you. But yeah, yeah, when it came to black people, there are no heroes in that story.
1: No, definitely not. So let's kind of dive into the book a little bit. It's about really the stuff you're not taught about the U.S. presidents concerning how racist were they? Did they own slaves? How did they, Were they good for black people is kind of the gist of this book. What inspired you to write it?
0: Well, it all began, um, I, I'm a columnist at Black Agenda Report, and I wrote a column about Theodore Roosevelt in 2014 or 2015. And a friend and supporter of uh, Black Agenda Report said to me, why don't you write about all the presidents? And I was like, OK, I can, you know, of course, I did not know what I was doing writing a book. I wrote columns every week it was not the same <laughs> as writing a book. But but there's a lesson there. Sometimes it's helpful to say yes, when you don't actually know what you're doing. And uh, because uh, without this person's urging, I probably would not have done it. So it all, uh, all worked out that way. I, I wrote about Theodore Roosevelt. I watched a uh, PBS documentary about the Roosevelts, and I felt like it was, a, uh, no pun intended, a whitewash of Theodore Roosevelt. Now I realize all of history is one gigantic whitewash of all of them.
1: Well, yeah, that was one thing I noticed, that there's a lot of facts that you present. This is a dense, like, there's no fluff in this book. It's all meat. There's no side dishes. This is just all facts and real truth. And it's not mostly common knowledge at all. What kind of research did you have to do to uncover all this stuff?
0: Well, you, you know, some of it was a lot of online research, but a lot of time spent in libraries. The, I already loved the New York Public Library System. We have, we're very lucky to have it. And uh, so I spent a lot of time in the, the main branch on uh, uh, Fifth Avenue near 42nd Street and at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, also part of the public library system. I went to Washington, to the Library of Congress. But it's a funny thing. It's the information I found is right there. You don't have to look hard for it. It's just, uh, but it's clear uh, after doing this for a rather a short time, that um, scholars and historians cover for these guys, because it's, it's right out there that uh, Lincoln never gave up his dream of sending black people out of the country. I mean, I was taught he said that once and then he changed his mind. He never said it again. No, he said it like a couple of weeks before he was assassinated. He never gave that up. I think that's the the thing that stuck with me. The degree and, and I would also say omissions are lies. You know, not it's not just saying something that's factually untrue, but if you don't if you just decide to leave something out because uh And I think, you know, most biographers, they write about people because they're admirers, because they respect them. And anything that shows them in a negative light, they just leave it out. But that is telling a lie if you leave things out that are important.
1: Yeah. And these were not minor things. These were major infractions by these people. How many presidents owned
0: slaves? Twelve. Ten of the first twelve and twelve in all. Of the first 12, only the Adamses, father and son, did not. Uh, although they were not innocent either, especially John Adams, he was terrified of the idea of Black people being freed. And he went on and on about how terrible it was if there were to, was to be a free Black population. And he defended the uh, slaveocracy, the Southern uh, slave powers, as, as they were also called. Although there was slavery in the North too, uh, just ended sooner. And and it's not incidental that the first presidents were so many of them were slaveholders. It tells you how important slaveholding was to the economy, that that was the road to wealth, to fame, to prominence.
1: Right. And we can't Get You know, the North isn't off the hook, even if they didn't own slaves, because they were benefiting from that economy. Those cheap textiles from the southern states were awfully, you know, attractive to people that were living in the northern states.
0: Well, well, you know, cotton may have been grown in the South, but where was it sold? Where were the, you know, this was the financial capital from day one. So, yes, this was the foundation of American, uh, of American wealth. And you said
1: in the book that people like to feel good about their government. And we yeah. almost kind of idolize the founding fathers in this country as superheroes, almost these larger than life, amazing men. And here you are telling the truth about them. Are you getting a lot of pushback from people for this? Or? Yeah, I get
0: some. It's, it's, you know, it's a funny thing. There, are, there aren't many people who... One person, guy on Twitter recently called me a grifter. He says, it looks like you looked for something bad about all of them. You wanted to prove they were all racist. And I was like, I didn't have to prove it, it's there. But um, he's, that's rare. Most people just want some sort of absolution for the guy they liked. Or the ones they admired. It's like, oh, I was a Teddy Roosevelt fan. I didn't want to know that he court-martialed a, a black soldiers accused falsely accused of murder and kicked them out of the army, and waited till after election day to make sure black people voted for Republicans, in order to commit this wrong. It's it's just it's like, sorry, this these are the facts. But people do want to feel good about the groups they identify with. And one of those groups of identity is a national identity being an American. And people want to be proud and want to have positive feelings. And I just say, you've got to have positive feelings about something else. It can't be, you know, you have to admire the people who fought against slavery. You have to admire the people. There There were people I didn't know existed, a senator from Ohio named Foraker, who who stood up against Uh, Roosevelt when he court-martialed those men so unfairly. People whose names you don't know, and I say to people, if there's somebody you want to admire, it could be, if there's a, a white man from the 1850s you want to admire, it ought to be John Brown. We have to respect people and people we're not told much about if we're told anything about them at all.
1: Your book is definitely another one of those books that you read this real accurate history. And for me, at least, I get kind of pissed off that I didn't get to learn this, the actual truth that, you know, I was told George Washington's false teeth were made out of wood. And that's what they tell a lot of American schoolchildren.
0: And do you want to give what the act- his teeth were actually made of? Uh, his, you know, his teeth were made, his dentures were made of, you know, ivory and metal, but he also got teeth. From some of the people he owned, their teeth were extracted to put into his dentures, and I—it's so horrifying to me. I nobody wants to get a, teeth, a tooth pulled now. We have anesthesia and, and you know good better medical care. I cannot imagine having um, a tooth pulled out of my head without uh, uh, medical science, without any painkiller. But it was done for him. And he and his wife owned more than 200 people. Mostly Martha belonged to her and her first husband's estate. So, you know, speaking of things you're told, you're told he married a wealthy widow. But nobody tells you how she got wealthy. But anybody wealthy in Virginia at that time was a slaveholder. That's how one did it. And and yeah, it is infuriating. Uh, To realize, I mean, at various stages, actually it continues, it never ends. I get angry about things I was not taught. I get angry about things um, that were lies. But um, we have been miseducated. There's a good book called The Miseducation of the Negro, but uh, there's Miseducation of, uh, uh, what is the book by James Lowen? Uh, Lies My Teacher Taught Me is another very good book. But but yes, it's uh, in order... To tell this story of a good nation, you have to you have to cover up. Because if you talk about Andrew Jackson, I mean, look at their faces are on the money. Andrew Jackson, I mean, the man was a genocide. He is the one who ethnically cleansed the southeast of the indigenous population in order for the plantation economy to take hold. So people say they admire him or Jacksonian democracy or whatever. He was horrible. He was a murderer, a mass murderer, and um, and actually this this idea of putting Harriet Tubman's face, her sharing the twenty dollar bill with him, is an insult to her. I don't know why people think that's a good thing for her face to be on money, the source of so much suffering. But yeah, it is. Uh, it is in. I mean, even today, I read the paper. And I'm more knowledgeable now, and I realize all the things that are kept from us. And, you know, if you depend on the corporate media, you don't know anything you're supposed to know. So people think they're being well-informed if they read the New York Times and watch CNN and listen to NPR, then they know what's going on in the world. No, they don't. They know the elite narrative. They know the propaganda narrative, but they do not know what they need to know about any number of subjects.
1: And we have to learn from the past if we want to craft a different future. And if our collective past is being robbed from us all, if we're only getting someone's spin on the past, then we're never going to be able to craft a better future.
0: That's true. That's true. As difficult as it is for people to face that their identity is based on fraud or based on evil doing. Um, You you can't have it, you're not gonna have anything different. I I also say to people, don't you want a country you can really be proud of, rather than have some fake pride based on lies? Um, But you can't do that if, I mean, just the idea, I remember every time, I remember uh, it was Bill Clinton, he was supposed to give a speech about slavery. And it was like, is he gonna apologize for slavery? And people were so upset with the idea. And I'm like, really? But um, that's where many people are mentally. They cannot let go of uh, of these narratives. But, but that's very unfortunate because then it makes it. But, but we also have to say that the clinging to these narratives, people also do that because they, they benefit from the country that we have. And they know in some kind of way, whether they admit it or not, if you really had a non-racist society, then things would be different for them and they wouldn't be guaranteed a good job or being able to buy a house in the right neighborhood or any number of things. So I, I think there's some uh, uh, cynical support for that narrative, too.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that, for sure. So I wanted to dig back in a little bit more to some of the presidents. Were you actually shocked with anything you uncovered, like somebody was so much worse than you knew?
0: Uh Lincoln, the fact that he never gave up his colonization schemes, that was something I was unaware of. And I'm unaware of that just because there are out and out lies. I was not aware. uh, His immediate predecessor, James Buchanan, he became president. He was inaugurated within a couple of weeks of the Dred Scott decision being made and the Dred Scott decision in the Supreme Court ruled that this man who had been enslaved but taken to a free state that he was not, not only did they not free him, but they said black people were not citizens, uh, whether slave or free, and none had any rights. James Buchanan colluded with the court on their decision. He acted improperly communicating with the Supreme Court justices. He said, the great object of my administration will be if possible to destroy the dangerous slavery agitation and thus to restore peace to our distracted country. And he said to someone in a letter with their concurrence, I will give you in confidence the history of the case before us with the probable result. So he worked behind the scenes with the court, with Justice Taney, to make sure that not only did they not give this individual his freedom, but that the decision would be one that he hoped would end political difficulties they had uh, over slavery at that time. So I did not, I mean, I think, how do you tell the story of the Dred Scott decision and not teach that the president was part of the decision, that he took part in this? But uh, the story of uh, Washington, the, the enslaved people's teeth, that was a shocker. Woodrow, well, I knew Woodrow Wilson was a racist, uh, but he, he, he actually was endorsed by uh, the black leadership of the time, they were still angry with Theodore Roosevelt about uh, the court-martial of the black troops. So, at, and at that time, in the early 1900s, the Democrats were the party of the segregated South and Republicans were the black people's party, still the party of Lincoln. And people were so angry with Roosevelt they would not uh, support him when he ran on this third party bull moose ticket in 1912. And Woodrow Wilson made some mild statement about, I will, you know, have justice for the colored people or something that no one should have depended upon. But um, he ended up being horrible. He was an unrecon, literally unreconstructed southerner. He segregated the federal workforce. Uh, He screened the movie Birth of a Nation at the White House. He was terrible. But the other thing, there's this thread of uh, Black people from the moment any Black people had the right to vote, this search for the better party, the better person, or even the party that's less harmful and hoping that uh, this president or that president will be better for Black people. And in vain, we continue this hope up until the present moment. But uh, James Polk was a Active slave trader while he was in the White House, all of the manipulations to steal, to have a war with Mexico and then to make Texas a state. All of these things are really, really shocking. Harry Truman, here's one. Harry Truman belonged to the Klan as a young man. Uh, When it was revealed, He claimed he was forced into it. Somebody threatened him to, you know, to make him join the Klan. The Klan was popular in the 20s. That's all you need to know. But he remained a segregationist his whole life, despite the fact that he desegregated the military. But he did that because he knew the 1948 race was going to be so close. But as an old man, when the civil rights movement started and uh, the sit-ins began, he said, If anyone came into my store and tried to stop business, I'd throw him out. The Negro should behave himself and show he's a good citizen. And he wrote this in a telegram and then said, this is not confidential. So you can tell people that I said it. Eisenhower was outwardly racist, although his mother may have been a black woman. If you see photos of her, she looks like a light-skinned black woman. I I don't know if she was or not, but uh, he was... Uh, opposed to the Brown v. Board of Ed decision. And he said, well, you know, white people, they just don't want their white little white girls sitting next to an overgrown Negro. I mean, things like that. So there's lots of shocking.
1: Yeah, there were. It was just one horrible story after another. I was shocked at how many people would not oppose lynching. Like everybody keeps asking the presidents, "Can you like say lynching is bad maybe?" And they're like, "No, no, I'm not going to do that." Like it was president after
0: president after president. There was never an anti-lynching bill, never. And people talk about it now and it now lynchings are committed by the police. So, you know, unless you're going to crack down on the police, it's it's kind of a moot point, but you're absolutely right. There were never any, I mean, it was quite open that black people could be murdered by mobs. Uh, There's film footage, there's photos, people bragged about it, news stories about it. And no, they, because they knew they'd have to go up against the South. And, you know, it's a funny thing now when people talk about fascism, that was fascism. Uh, people act like it was something new or it was just Trump or no, uh, Jim Crow was fascism. It was American fascism. And it's something Hitler learned from. Hitler studied uh, eradication, near eradication of the native population, the reservation system, Jim Crow. So let's talk about how fascist this country was and sometimes still is. Absolutely.
1: And there was one, or actually there were two more things I wanted to get to, and I thought they were both really important, was one of them was the name Benjamin Parker. This was someone I had never heard of, and it seems it was kind of designed that we would never hear the story of Benjamin Parker. Can you tell a little about who he was? Yeah,
0: McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt's successor, he was assassinated in in Buffalo while he was uh, uh, visiting Buffalo. And while he was at the Pan American Exposition World's Fair in Buffalo, September 6th, 1901, and the assassin whose name was Leo uh, Solgash, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Anyway, so this man, Benjamin Parker, was a black man, was a waiter. And he was, you know, the president was there. He was waiting to see the president. And he saw, and the gunman took out his gun, shot McKinley twice, and then Parker grabbed him and kept him from shooting him a third time. Black people were then as now very proud whenever someone in the group made good. And he was a big hero in the black community. And initially um, he was given credit for, and McKinley did not die right away. He died several weeks later. So people said he may have saved his life even though he ultimately did pass away from his wounds. Booker T. Washington said a black man saved the president from death, you know. And even the white press wrote about the tawny lion of the exposition. Uh, one of the secret Servicemen says the colored man was quicker than we, he nearly killed the man, but he was never asked to testify at the trial. His actions were disappeared. Uh, and he died in a mental hospital and his unclaimed body was dissected by medical students. That's, that's the story of, uh, of Benjamin Parker.
1: And it even went farther in the book. You said that it was possible that one of the Secret Service agents or the men who should have been protecting the president
0: was too busy looking like, what is this black man doing here? That's true. He said, um, uh, however, his very presence may have changed McKinley's fate. According to one story, at least one Secret Service agent was busy looking at the black man instead of observing the crowd as he should have been doing. It's it's crazy that he
1: just totally was erased from history like this was a major yep. role he played. Yes, yes. And he was just
0: disappeared. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very sad. But um, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things that encapsulates the story of black people in the country.
1: And the final thing I wanted to talk about from your book was even the location of where we selected our nation's capital to be was based on racism. Like, you know, we always learned a little bit about, oh, you know, just Virginia and Washington and Maryland gave a part of themselves to be the nation's capital. Like it was just this totally innocuous thing. But there were some dark roots in where that was selected to be, too.
0: Yeah, the first capital was New York City. That's where George Washington was inaugurated. Then it was moved further south to Philadelphia. That proved uh, problematic to Washington because uh, Pennsylvania had a law that any enslaved person who was in the state for more than six months could sue for their freedom. And this was a problem for George Washington. So he got around it by rotating his servants who were all enslaved people and making sure that none of them stayed in the states long in that state of Pennsylvania long enough to sue for their freedom. He just rotated them to Mount Vernon. His personal predicament showed how difficult it would be to defend slavery unless you had a capital that was physically within those states that depended on slavery. So, I mean, you have to ask yourself when they say they built a new city, why would you need to build a new city? There were already cities. You already, you know, you had New York, you had Boston, you had Philadelphia. Why would you need a new city? But uh, they needed a city that was, um, and uh, it is said that George Washington personally profited from this somehow. Mount Vernon is right outside of uh, Washington, DC. So they created a new capital on a swamp and wedged between Maryland and Virginia to make sure that the capital was safely, physically within the bounds of the slaveocracy states. Uh, and and you know as you as you as you point out how do you not tell that doesn't anybody ask wait a minute why are you building a new city when there were already cities but that was their need they needed to have slavery some have uh, the capital in a place where it would be protected by slaveholding interest
1: yeah and they're t- they we are taught that when we're so young we mm. don't even get the idea to question it, because, you know, you're taught when, you know, when you're just a child, they teach you all this stuff and it's never revisited again when you're old enough to like actually question it and be like, wait a minute, and <laughs> what's going on here? So it's just part of this indoctrination that's part of education. Absolutely. I mean, indoctrination
0: is the word. And, and the fact, you know, doing the research, I'm not the first one to raise these questions. I mean, there have been books uh, about, the most recent was, was The Black History of the White House by Clarence Lussain, but uh, there's a book called Nixon's Piano, written in the 80s. There's uh, uh, The Racist Presidents, George Sinkler was the author. So there are people who've talked about this before, uh, who've written about this before. So I'm, I'm not the first one to present this information. But it's a it's a kind of a a conspiracy to tell a different story because the truth is too ugly. So, yes, it is indoctrination to tell, to teach the I I was taught about the Declaration of Independence, but nobody in high school or college said we're going to read the whole thing and that it said uh, King George was instigating the Indians. Uh, against the colonists. And one of the reasons they wanted to, there are two reasons they wanted to break free from from the British. One, they were afraid that uh, the British were going to outlaw slavery. That was the first thing. The second thing was the British forbade them to extend settlements past the Appalachian Mountains. And they wanted the whole continent. They wanted the whole thing. That was the plan all along. And uh, that is why they wanted to be independent. So, how can you teach the Declaration of Independence and not actually read it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's almost mind boggling how much, and we just accept it. Or, you know, there are, as you said, nefarious people who are intentionally omitting details, but we just kind of accept the history that we're taught. And that's why books like yours and books like Howard's Inn People's mm-hmm. History are the really important books. And I guess maybe they're starting to get slightly more incorporated into education as, you know, like in New Jersey, we have the Amistad curriculum. So they may actually be working in
0: some of the voices that right. you never actually hear uh, but about. There's a lot, but there's even a lot of resistance to it. You know, before he left office, Trump, I don't know, he tried to start a new curriculum. There was all this anger about the 1619 project, which is problematic for other reasons, but uh, uh, there are people making the point that that I just made about the foundation of the country and about the uh, the desire to make to protect slavery, as an example. And people, there was this firestorm. It's like, how can you say that they were motivated by the Enlightenment? They were, you know, it was the Stamp Act. It was, <laughs> it was the Tea in Boston Harbor. It was, uh, you know, all of these things. That played a role, but that that wasn't it. That wasn't it at all. And there was this firestorm of protest. There was an effort to change the curriculum of the advanced placement test for high school students, for American history. And again, there was this outcry uh, about, you know, wokeness and political correctness. And it's just telling students what happened it's just being truthful so a lot of people are still invested in um in the cover-up cover-ups plural
1: yeah well i think it wasn't that long ago that i saw that they were omitting the trail of tears from history books that they just said that the
0: indigenous people moved to make room
1: for oh, the colonists. They? Oh,
0: well, isn't that, isn't that special? It just moved. Uh, yeah, I, I was not taught about the, tra- when I think about the things I was, and I was always interested in history. I was a history major, but I wasn't taught about the Trail of Tears. I wasn't taught any of the things that we've talked about. Um, you had to be a serious student of history and you have to be looking for it when you do the research uh, in order to know about it, so it's it's very sad that we have a country that um, uh, so many uh, feelings and opinions about it are just based on fantasy and um, uh, not on uh, um, not on any truth or even an effort to find, as I said before, to find those people who are admirable, the people who did the right thing, the people who um, the, the radical abolitionists who said slavery had to end and that the war should be over slavery to even ignore them in favor of uh, continuing to tell the lie, which covers up so much.
1: And Thank you for writing this book because I learned a ton from it. If people want to check out this book,
0: where can they find it? You can get uh, *Presidential Black America* and the presidents uh, on Amazon. You can get it from Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can get it from Bookshop.org. I really want to support local independent bookstores that are struggling. So if you you can order it directly from your bookstore, you can go to Bookshop.org and they can help you uh, do that. It's um, uh, on Audible, as we said before. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a, and steer forth. Press published a book so steerforth.com. You can order the book from there. Are you working on anything else right now that you can tease people with? Ah, I want to write another book. I from the beginning I said it was my first book, which meant I wanted to do it again. So I'm not sure what I want to write about. I, I think I want to write about propaganda, um, which is sort of an extension of what I've already written, but uh, that's going to have to wait until the fall. I've had you know offers to be published. Um, but my, my personal situation, I'll be freer to, to write later this year, but I'm looking forward to writing again. And I'm definitely looking forward to reading it.
1: Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been awesome talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it when you listen to our show, when you share the stories around, when you like things, post them on your social medias. With everything you can do to help get the word out, we really appreciate you. Because right now, it's kind of just me sitting in my spare bedroom recording these (laughs) and, you know, Oh, it's kind of just i'm a one woman show at the moment so anything you can do to help i really appreciate it if you know you're getting your stimulus money in and you have a little extra money i'd really appreciate if you could go to our donate page and you know throw a couple of dollars my way just to help cover hosting costs and all that stuff for for making these shows and i appreciate you guys so much the future is yours to create go out there and create it